Come and dream with me. Hello, welcome to What Do You Want to Watch? Explosion of its premium media podcast. Every week we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content. Help you answer the question, was there really a shortage of pink paint because of the Barbie movie? Yes, this is proven fact. So sorry, people who wanted pink houses. I'll be host Ashley. I'll be joining me today, Dylan Black. I don't think that's a real thing. I know there's been a lot of news stories. I thought it was a fake news story at first. The first time I saw it pop up, I've seen a lot of people report on it and whatever else now. I just don't believe that's a thing. That's, that's not how paint works, surely. They would have needed a lot of pink paint. Yeah, I know they need a lot of. So. I know they need a lot of pink paint, but a world shortage of pink paint. Yep. For painting a couple of houses. And whatever else, cars, yeah, clothing, yeah. No, I, I buildings. I, I call bullshit. Streets. I'm looking forward to this movie. Love you, Greta, but nah, call bullshit. All right, there we go. There you go. Headline: yeah. Don Black calls Greta Gerwig bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on today's episode, we'll be talking about what's in watch history, discussing some news, giving you this week's top three, and giving some thumbs to trailers. Kick things off with a big release of the week. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, over on all new Marvel cast, we've got a review, uh, a spoiler cast up, which you can go listen to right now. Uh, I've also got a review up at explosion.com. I gave it a 9.5 out of 10 and said, Across the Spider-Verse is one of the best adaptations of comic books to date, an incredible achievement in the art form of animation, and a clear love letter to the lore and legacy of Spider-Man. Uh, Dylan, do you want to give your non-spoilery thoughts on Spider-Man across the spider Uh Yeah, uh, so obviously tired to talk about this, but uh, very beautiful film. Animation is absolutely again the standout point, both like the animation, like movement, but also just from a solid screenshot put on your wall point of view. Um, music is phenomenal. Really, really enjoyed the original music for it. I think the the soundtrack isn't as memorable. You don't have that sunflower song moment thing there, but the original music is very very good or what's up danger what's up danger yeah or, or any of that so that's is what it is uh but the the part that let me down is i just didn't feel like the character moments in this one the the narrative itself is anywhere near as strong i think that's just a a downside of doing such a clear-cut two picture uh two movie story this time whereas the first one is just a a one movie gets such a, a good arc and and stuff like that. Still, really, really enjoyed it. I, I say in this podcast, I probably would have given them the movie an eight if I was the one reviewing it. Uh, but yeah, I I looking forward to the second one. Uh, probably even more so now because there's just so many things I want to see wrapped up because of the how much setup this film does. Yeah, obviously, I loved it. I think it is probably the most beautiful animated film to date. Uh, or at least the most creative, like various art styles utilized. Uh, so many fantastic, like transitions, um, just showcasing what animation can do that, like live action filmmaking time. So, um, you know, again, animation cinema, um, you should all go watch it in the theaters on the biggest screen as possible. Um, I will say, like, I've seen it twice. It was interesting because the first time I saw it, like, a lot more of the jokes hit. And then the second time I went, there was a lot of kids there. And I don't think the jokes, a lot of the jokes hit as hard. <laughs> a lot of them went over their heads. Um, so go at a late screening with a lot of adults, because that, that'll be more fun, I think. 
What was your crowd like to go see Spider-Verse? Uh, mixed group, kids, middle-aged, people by themselves like me. But like, I know. busy or? Uh, I'd say like three quarters full when I, when okay. I went and saw it. Uh, people laughed out loud a lot during the, like, everyone, every Spider-Man pointing at each other scene, to which I was like, did none of us watch the trailer? Like, the trailers, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Is this surprising? Yeah. yeah. No, my crowd was like, it was the busiest I'd seen in the cinema in a long time. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. It was just very, very, very promising. Like, uh, everybody went out and obviously made a ton of money on the weekend. So, uh, yeah. Do you, do you, here's the other thing. Do you think Beyond the Spider Verse is coming March next year? Yeah. 100%. No delays. No delays. No, no. Uh, yeah, so check out our spoiler cast, read my review, uh, over at explosion.com. Uh, we also did a spoiler cast for the season three of Ted Lasso, um, the final season, question mark. Uh, you know, Dylan, do you want to share your non-spoiler thoughts of Ted Lasso? Uh, very, very enjoyable season, some mixed writing. They sort of start, started stiffening their glue a bit too much, I think, but I... Really enjoyed most of the directions for the characters. The, the the how Ted's story wraps up this season, I thought it was picture perfect. The finale, even with some weird things that stand out, like soul farms, but um, otherwise it was still a, um, a tearjerker. And I'm um, interested to see where Ted Lasso goes from here. Yeah, I really enjoyed the season as well. Like it is, it's not as good as the first season, but it's still super enjoyable. Lots of heartfelt moments. Uh, they use this season to like expand on a lot of the side characters, um, give them a chance to shine. Um, yeah, I feel like a couple of things I would have loved a little bit more of, like Nate's redemption story. I feel like was something that could have been, uh, handled better. Um, but you know, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been very interesting to see the reaction to the show um, in the days since. And like a lot of the mm. negative reaction, a lot of the the chip shippers for Ted and Rebecca getting very upset. Especially with the clearly baited like several times throughout the episode, it feels like. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, apparently... Brendan Hunt had a Q&A on Reddit after the, the series, uh, and someone just outright asked him, you know, season four, spinoff, question mark. Uh, and he says, uh, we need a rest. We need to take a break. We'll come back and we'll, we'll see where we're at. Everything's on the table, but nothing is on the table. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah. It's it's just so interesting that they did go with the season three. Right. Season three finale. Instead of series finale, like series finale, we knew it was ending. Everybody was super secretive about it. It's very, it's very odd. Um, but you know, I think this is the first Apple TV project that's like come to its conclusion. Uh, because they have like Ted Lasso was obviously one of the launch titles, so um, yeah, I was gonna say what that's come to an end naturally. Yeah, naturally. Okay, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. Uh, other than that, it's been a reasonably quiet week. Um, Dylan, you checked out a movie on Shadow called Brooklyn Forty Five. 
Uh, Brooklyn 45, yep. Yeah. So this is a... Have I not talked about this? Where did I dream nope. it? Embargo was last week, so... I dreamt I talked about it. I swear I remember talking about you it. Must have. Right. Um, the So Brooklyn 45, it's set during the... Yeah, so it's set shortly after the war. You've got a bunch of... Um, so obviously 45 stands for 1945. Uh, you've got a group of friends who uh, get together and they're meeting up. They, they all were uh, different, worked in different departments and whatever else. Uh, during the war, one of them's the colonel and whatever else. I think it's like four of the friends. Um, they meet up at his apartment. He's called them all there for some drinks and laughs. And yeah, remember that time we fought Nazis? Um, that was fun. Uh, so that's what's happening here. Uh, the film then follows the structure of, although it doesn't outright say it, it's the like everything's real time, right? So they they arrive at the 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 movie's like an hour and a half or whatever, and then like the events sort of just play out in real time um, as they're there. They're in one location, it's an apartment. Um, and what happens is when they get in there, the colonel starts saying, hey, um, who he's he's struggling because his wife uh, recently uh, killed herself and he wants to do a seance to attempt to talk to her and to find out why she did what she did and all these sorts of things. Um, to say more after that sort of, I guess, gets spoilerish because it's really just a bunch of people in a room, but... What ends up happening is they, the the film attempts to, I think for the most part, succeeds. It's going to be very hit and miss because obviously the one location thing, mostly people talking, isn't going to be exciting enough for some people. But um, I think the performances are very solid. And what, it, what you have is mostly people talking about what they did in the war. you got these characters who absolutely have no regrets about what they had to do and you got other characters who are very much like well i was taking orders so even if they do feel bad about it they're like they're sort of sweeping under the rug of um i was you know you've got a character who hints at this like having to kill a bunch of kids um but it was it was an order so it's totally not something that's sitting on their guilty conscience at all and all these sorts of things but yeah i i really enjoyed the performances the the ending i don't think is another thing that may leave some people unfulfilled but i think the ending made perfect sense for 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 what i think the movie's trying to do so um yeah hopefully i should have up a review next day or two after recording this um but i'm thinking probably around a seven seven and a half at the moment all right uh so i watched a documentary on sps now called uh the donut king this is released in 2020, uh, and it's about a uh, com- uh, Cambodian man named Ted Noy, who, uh, after the troubles in Cambodia, uh, due to the Khmer Rogue, I want to say, off the top of my head, um, was, became an immigrant to America, uh, and then uh, kind of started his own donut empire that's kind of had this lasting effect on the donut industry in uh, California, uh, where uh, 90% of independent uh, donut shops are run by Cambodians. Like, to the extent where, like, Dunking Donuts for, like, several years, like, didn't even try to break into the the California market because they kind of had the stranglehold over the market. Uh, Yeah, so it kind of delves into, obviously, his past and, like, what, how, how he came about to become quote quote unquote the donut king um and kind of his rise and eventual eventual fall 
um, which is quite interesting to watch. So I thought it was a very nice, uh, heartfelt, like little documentary. Uh, reading into the character of the, the guy a little bit more, this like he goes on to a bit more dramatic stuff after the events of the film. So that's uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's a very nice documentary. There's a lot of donuts. So if you like donuts, you can watch. I love people donuts. Making donuts. Not enough people make lactose free donuts, which is my problem. That's an issue. Uh, you know, can you even make donuts with uh, lactose? You can, you can, because there are donut places. Is, uh, there's one I can't remember what the called. It's called something like Tom's Donuts or something very generic like that. It's in Melbourne. It's in the Virgin Airport Lounge. If anyone's going through there and they want, um, they want to get some lactose-free donuts for their their flight uh, anywhere, and you're going through Melbourne Airport, book Virgin. We're not sponsored, but if you book Virgin, you can get the correct donuts and you can eat them. <laughs> Tweet at Vivid with the other <laughs> lactose-free donut shops, I guess. You know, it sounds like he's desperate to know. All right. Uh, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, and Dylan, you've been catching up on a few documentary series that I've been, I watched previously. Uh, so you watched Missing, Dead or Alive. Yes, this is the one, I started watching it and I completely thought you talked about it. And then when I started re- reached the end of the first episode and started the second one, and then they wrapped up the the thing in the second episode i was like oh that's that show right um yeah. <laughs> so yeah this is a i think i i enjoyed the show it's interesting i like the focus the the main sort of crux for this episode or this show is they they have that one i, I guess the lead character is the 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 girl who's come from the different department and then towards the end of the series, major crimes major yeah. crimes and then towards the end she's struggling because they they have a case where they don't actually find someone who's missing alive and that sort of plays on her and all this sort of stuff but i think having i don't feel like the i I didn't feel like across the what four or five episodes whatever it was um i I didn't feel like across episodes that they tried too hard to um over dramatize any of the cases or you know or like it just it, it felt pretty straightforward which i i appreciated mm-hmm. um like the the first one was super interesting and the the whole time being like yeah this is definitely the way it's going and then the the reveal um doesn't actually make it a, a happy story it still makes it a ultimately what's happening there with that person who goes missing is super fucked up but it's just a little bit more nuanced than if this was a straightforward hollywood action flick where it definitely would have been the way you thought it was gonna yeah. go <laughs> also it's really weird that they give a lot of camera time to the the uh, suspect yeah during that it is but i guess he was happy to talk so i don't know yeah um maybe if it had gone a different way they may have cut that in the edit yeah i don't know if Um, he murdered everybody yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah i definitely feel like there's i mean there's so you've got a case that starts with someone's mother goes missing and the 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 son's a suspect we've got another case i thought which was quite interesting which was the um the mother like sort of kidnaps her own child even though the the father has custody and like how they how they deal with that and try and get that Mm. solved and stuff but yeah i i I definitely thought it was interesting i think the having the the solution of each one go into the second episode and trying for something different i think can work and they shouldn't have committed to it for every episode. I, I, I feel like the thing is, because we're so used to, like, if, you, if you're watching an episode and you're like, I bet you it's this guy, and you flick up and see there's five minutes left, you're like, it's going to be him because there's no way they can solve the rest of the, the thing yep. in the five minutes. But when you have it bleed through to the, to the, rex, the rest of the, the second episode, you, you don't know then. So it's, it's sort of, 
I did the first time I did it, I, I didn't hate it, but then when they did it sort of unnecessarily and I felt like they could have just wrapped up the second one in that episode, I was like, no, it's sort of redundant now, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you also watched Waco, American Apocalypse. Yeah, so this is obviously the the all about it's like four episodes all on Waco, um, the mass shootout and whatever else you got the you got the the cult sort of all holed up in their their compound, then you got the FBI coming in, then you got the the other team, and they're all buttonheads and lots of miscommunication mm-hmm. that just leads to what happens here. That's a absolute disaster of history, sort of as far as um, talking someone down from you know shootout and whatever else. But uh, super interesting nonetheless. I like that the the documentaries just has these interviews with people who were part of that cult and they just are still true believers like it's just crazy to listen to them talk so adamantly like what they were a part of was never going to do anything wrong or do it you know so i thought that was quite interesting and i didn't feel like this four episodes ever had a point of view it was just sort of um, it was very good at just sort of having a neutral lens on of the the interviews and stuff like that, and just laying it laying it all out as as it as it happened. Um, yeah, obviously when it, when it starts and you have that mass shootout at the start between the cops and everyone, it's like holy fucking shit. And then yeah, the way it ends, and not no, I mean that's the thing. Like you you could theorize what happened there at the end, like what causes this fire and all that sort of stuff. But um, I thought that was quite interesting. So yeah, I thought that was good as well. Good four episodes. Uh, cool. And then you also watched American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah, this one, another short one. I think it was like, what, three, four episodes as well. Yep. Um, very interesting once again, just to see how the case of tracking down the Boston Marathon bombers went. The, the, the sort of, in a post 9-11, how like they, they're talking about the, having people talk about you know the kids the the like people that that one kid they're interviewing who went to school with one of the bombers and stuff and him just being like please don't be muslim please don't be muslim you know and then of course it's like fuck Mm. (laughs) so like i think having that angle was uh was a good addition to have to this series there's some stuff in here i didn't know like the 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 shootout in the middle of the street between those cops who just think they're carjackers that's absolutely insanity uh, insane the fact that he, that he manages to escape there again for a second and hide literally two meters away and takes him there forever to find him is quite funny i remember i knew i remember knowing where they found him but like the fact he was that far away after i was like holy fucking mm. shit um yes yeah, so this was the definitely an interesting series on the uh the bombing and from a lot of people's different points of view of you've, you've got cops uh you've got survivors uh yeah you've got um you know people went to school the people who were the i don't know the official name but like the some person from the the church uh the the mosque sorry um you know all the all these different angles so yeah i thought it was interesting uh and then you also watched victim suspect Oh, this was good, right. Ah, so Victim Suspect, yeah, I thought this was a very interesting... So this is a, a feature-length documentary um, that sort of... So it's... I can't remember the newspaper, but it's got... It's uh, the the lead person behind this one 
um, doing the doco is this reporter based at some um, American newspaper who starts like looking into all these news stories and cases that are happening where, and I'm sure a lot of them, if you watch this, you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that pop up on Twitter or whatever, is these these women who uh, make quote unquote false reports about being you know, raped and sexually uh, assaulted and whatever else, um, and then retract that and say, no, they were just lying and um, whatever else. And this reporter starts starts going like, why? Like, why are there so many of these like stories? Like, what what's the what's the go here? And then what ends up happening is she's she looks into him and finds out basically. I mean, you can this documentary just. It reminded me a lot of there's another Netflix documentary about you know they I can't remember what it was called about just the the psychology of um you know like cops drilling people for like eight hours and in interviews and getting them to you know like falsely agree to a crime they didn't commit mm. and all that yep. sort of stuff that like that's a there's I can't remember the name there's a really interesting documentary on that too this falls into the same category because that's what that's what happens here you have these these women say hey. I was sexually assaulted, blah, 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 blah. That's horrible. Please help me. Um, and you would think it would be a straight up thing of the cop should be like, oh my God, are you okay? Yes. Um, let me investigate that for you. But what ends up happening is they grill these these victims for like eight, 10 like hours and end up basically like psychologically breaking them down to they're like, no, I lied. I made it up. Because and and they don't really cover it in this but that other documentary i've watched where they talk about like why you why someone would do that is because they're like they just want to say anything to get out of that fucking interview room like please just let me go like what i'm i've come to you for help and now i'm i'm having to I, i'm being treated like i'm the the criminal i just want to leave like um, I thought you would help me, but you're not. So um, I thought it was really, really interesting. The it's, I mean, it's interesting, but it's also really, really fucked up. Because the other thing this documentary points out that I, I was like, that's a good point, and that's that's horrible. Is that so? If you're you're if you're a victim of sexual assault, um, your name won't be released, right? So it'll if any newspaper reports on said crime, will just call you the victim and whatever else. They won't release your name and all this sort of stuff. But the second that any of these these people are grilled and that they change their claim they're then charged with um falsely reporting a crime and then all the newspapers and whatever else mm. they fully name the the woman um they're then abused online you know like this is the me too movement ruining it etc cetera, etc cetera, all this sort of stuff uh, but yeah the documentary covers all that and then it covers um some of the uh the women trying to get together to sort of get their c- cases turned back around in court and like the process for that and like trying to find evidence to prove that they were like sort of grilled and you know all, all this sort of stuff so yeah I, I would definitely suggest watching this one i thought it was really interesting all right uh and that's everything in our watches tree let's move on to some film news and dylan there's a massive massive fight brewing in hollywood Tom Cruise is reportedly trying to get the release dates for Barbie or Oppenheimer moved. In a well-known fact within the film community that two widely anticipated movies are coming out on the same day, Christopher Nolan's historical thriller Oppenheimer and Greta Gerwig's fantasy comedy Barbie are both releasing on Friday the 21st of July. However, actor Tom Cruise reportedly has an issue with this. Uh, Tom Cruise stars in the upcoming action spy film Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Set to release on Wednesday, July 12th. This release date 
is a little over a week before Barbie and Oppenheimer comes out. According to Puck News, Cruz has been complaining to Paramount executives about how Nolan's Oppenheimer will be taking all IMAX screens in North America and other territories for three weeks following the release. This means fans hoping to watch the new Mission Impossible movie only have nine days to see it in IMAX before every screen is in this famous premium format is taken by Nolan's historical epic. Uh, with the seventh Mission Impossible movie featuring a nearly $300 million budget and getting pushed back multiple times due to COVID, due to COVID it is no wonder Tom Cruise wants an optimal release window for his film. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on Tom Cruise fighting against Oppenheimer? Well, we all should have thought against the nuclear bomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been on board with it. We should have been yeah. on board from the start. So, um, Look, this is... I get it. To a degree. Now, he's being a, a bit of a prick about it, but I, I, like, I'm trying to meet in the middle ground here and say, look, I get it. You, you film this, um, you do all these massive stunts, you you like, you like go to effort to make this thing, and Tom Cruise has proven time and time again, he's a, he's a big supporter of um, the cinema going, um, you know, the bigger screen, the loudest theatres, the, the big IMAX movie moments for, for his films, right? Top, obviously, Top Gun, he was, he was willing to keep that in the vault for 10 years if it took for until he put it in theaters i feel um so having him get like this i i I get but the the part that annoys me is i'm like how the fuck do all these people like between the studios like why do we have barbie mission impossible and um Oppenheimer. oppenheimer all so closely together like it's wild like what studio heads uh which one wouldn't falter which one wouldn't like get the fuck out of the way just to be fair, none of them are exactly the same or catered to the exact same audience, you know? I guess so. But, so I mean, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible, yes, they're both IMAX films. Well, I think that's the one that's interesting. It's like Oppenheimer has, like, blocked out those three weeks yeah, exclusively across the entire country. Yeah. Which seems crazy. Well, they obviously made a deal. Yeah, and obviously Christopher Nolan's been doing IMAX stuff. For yeah, and I can't, again, years. this is the thing. I can't even so. hold it against Nolan. Like, Nolan loves big cinema experiences um, just as much as Tom Cruise, although he, he goes for different sorts of things in his movie. Obviously, he's, mm. a, big, he's a big purporter of that as well. Um, and my man apparently fucking recreated the atom bomb <laughs> for his film yep. and shot it on IMAX. So, like... And we need to see it. And we need to see it. So... <laughs> You know, they're talking about the the film, the the seventy one no seventy is it seventy yeah it's seventy millimeter film they've got and it rolls out like twenty one miles or whatever the fuck it is for for the IMAX version of Oppenheimer and all this these stories that are ha- happening at the moment. That's how long the film is. Like, that's the shit that caught fucking on fire and Inglorious Bastards. So yeah, I understand why he wants to have these cinemas locked up, and I understand why Tom Cruise wants to have the cinemas locked up. But the fact is. You both can't. <laughs> so, that's the that's yeah. the problem. I I it's a funny news story because I'm like I get it. I I totally get it. But also, this has been a thing for like yeah. several like almost years. Yeah. Like, but I was like, we knew this was coming. Knew these films were coming. Someone like just someone's someone's fucked up here somewhere. Like, why is this only at the last second? Tom Cruise is like, wait, hold on. <laughs> You've locked... No, where Oppenheimer... Has anyone heard this film, Oppenheimer? When the fuck was that announced? Like, 
you know that's the part that i'm like you had time to try and work this out or at least the studio execs did over there that should like less of a over time paramount, over yeah. paramount so um yeah I, I mean i get it like usually when these big films come out it's not abnormal they they always end up locking out the imax theaters for at least a couple of weeks that's pretty normal for any of these big releases mm-hmm. um but they just they don't usually cross over like this is the no it's the problem so just delay no. the movie yeah. all right delay it by a couple of weeks done solved I fixed it for you. you can pay or, me. How, or, much, how, yeah. how much do people get paid to make those decisions? Right? No, just re- release it this week. Release it this week. Oh, fixed yeah. it. Yeah. Fixed yeah. it. Fixed it. You're welcome, Tom Cruise. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, so I guess we'll see how that plays out. Uh, big movement in the ongoing writer strike uh, caused by the Directors Guild. Uh, the Directors Guild of America announced a tentative deal with the studios on Saturday night provoked providing pay hikes and improved residual for international streaming. But a summary provided by the GGA makes no mention of pegging the streaming residuals uh, to viewership that indicates that residuals will continue to be the same on streaming platforms, whether a show is a hit or a flop. Uh, The GGA residual term is uh, especially significant provision because it tends to be applied to the other guilds in patent bargaining. According to the GGA summary, the deal will provide a 76 increase in foreign residuals for the largest platforms. Both the Writers Guild and the SAG AFRA uh, have been interested in getting a residual based on views, but the streamers have adamantly refused to turn over the data that were required to make that work. Uh, the WGA, uh, the Writers Guild, and SAG AFRA have both indicated they will not be limited by the terms reached by the DGA. Uh, SAG AFRA begins its bargaining on Wednesday, and its contract is due to expire on June thirtieth. Uh, another significant term in the DGA deal is the increase in minimums. DGA won a 5% increase in the first year, followed by increases of 4 and 3.5%. Uh, those numbers represent the exact midpoint between the positions taken by the Writers Guild and the studios when talks broke down on May 1st. Uh, DGA also obtained language on artificial intelligence, making clear that AI is not a person and that a generative AI cannot replace the duties performed by its members. Uh, the summary makes no mention of a prohibition on AI training, which has been a proposal offered by the other two guilds. Uh, interesting. Uh, so members of the Writers Guild didn't take this news very well. Uh, lots of different quotes from different, uh, writers. Uh, WGA takes a stand, DGA rips awards, uh, and other things of the ilk. Uh, the, we went on strike because the studios were devaluing us. From what I read this morning, the DGA agreement only touches on residuals for us. Uh, otherwise, I think it's it won't be the impact won't be much. Some more cutting out. Here we go. Uh, DGA sent us to war with a we're right behind you, and then made a deal behind our backs. We should add to our list of demands and include riders must go to set to remind them of our hard won battle scars that they claim heel spurs or whatever instead of joining us on the lines. Yeah, so Dylan, what do you think of this latest this latest development in the uh, ongoing guild bargaining agreements? Um, I I don't know. I, I'm honestly, I saw someone tweet the other day and say, like, surprised that there's still uh, this stuff's still going on. But it's just a thing of I, I was like, none of you either remember or have bothered to do any Google searches about what happened last time shit like this went down. So um, I'm not yeah. surprised that it's like they're getting shitty offers and having to sort of swap them down um, in an attempt to get what they want. This, 
well, I'd like to say <laughs> it should be that easy. I mean, ultimately, it should be that easy. Like, even as, so like, Apple, big Apple events today, right? Tech-wise and stuff like mm. that. Um, yep. saw Gary Witter just before tweet out something about them doing a, a strike at a bunch of the Apple stores because they're um, Apple's not on board to pay their writers the what they're asking for as far as their shows. Um, I think, uh, look, and I'm, I shouldn't do this, but I think he said that something like they made four hundred billion or did like a four hundred billion deal, and what they're asking for is like a total of seventeen million. That's across like obviously everyone yep. getting paid. It's like such a, a drop in the the bucket of what people are yep. asking for and that's the same across every company like the 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 asking for is so small and especially when you see how much big ceos get paid as bonuses and like that sort yep. of stuff you're like okay so you literally take like a if one ceo just takes like a five percent less bonus and buy a, like which really doesn't affect them at all ultimately mm-hmm then everyone gets what they want. And that, as that sounds like super redundant and it, it sounds too simple that it can't be that easy, but it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. I guess good for the DGA if that's what they wanted, but like, it seems like a few of the writer slash directing members weren't too happy about how this exactly played out. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, I guess, you know, it is definitely going to come down to SAG-AFTRA as well and what they're going to want uh, and whether they kind of help the writers kind of get what they want as well, you know, because uh, you thought we thought it was all going to be like a three-pronged attack against the studios and they're all going to have to cave and, like, very much give back to a lot of the, the guilds, uh, but it doesn't seem like the case. No. Um, also crazy this week that, like, Disney has had is continuing to have a bunch of layoffs uh, across a lot of the different segments. Uh, of course, the one that's got a lot of attention this week is uh, over at Pixar. Uh, Angus McFarlane, who directed Lightyear, has been let go, as well as one of the producers there who had, saved who the saved Toy Story 2. Yeah. Um, the funniest, or a version of Toy Story 2. You know what the funniest yeah. thing about that story coming out to me is? These days, what? if you... like, The funniest thing to me is the fact that someone had a copy of that film at home. Like, these days, I'd be like, how the fuck do you have a copy of our film at home? That's, like, I'm sending you to prison for, like, stealing. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be like a... Well, now everything's on the cloud, so there's, like, little chance of it getting completely deleted. Uh, But, yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, Exciting news for Fast and Furious fans. Dwayne Johnson is returning to the Fast and Furious universe with a new standalone film reprising his franchise role as Luke Hobbs. Universal Pictures announced the project on Thursday. Longtime Fast and Furious collaborator Chris Morgan wrote the untitled film script. Plot details were not available, though individuals familiar with the deal said the new film will bridge between the events of the just-released Fast X and the upcoming Fast X Part 2, which is expected in 2025. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on Dwayne Johnson, Hobbs, back? I think, the Fast Furious I think we made a joke universe. in Spoilercast that, you know, it was like, if you give me a film, I'll I'll come back sort of thing. Um, and I think that's yep. exactly what's happened. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's, in his video, he's like, you know, me and Vin have had all these problems, but, you know, he's like a brother to me and we, we basically figured it out. Uh, but also, I'm getting my film, so, <laughs> you know, uh, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's, 
I'm excited to have Hobbs back, um, especially coming into the the finale of the franchise. Obviously, Hobbs is one of the biggest, most prominent characters in the Fast and Furious, so keen to have the rock back in that role um his little cameo part that at the at the end of fast x was super exciting um big reveal moment um and i didn't love hobson shaw like it was fine i think having him do a solo movie less comedic focused and more Mm. like a a, i i would love if it was more of just a gritty cop thing because the thing is like his when he whips off his his thing like his whatever balcava thing in the the thing yeah. and the, the the delivery of like you son of a bitch like that that seems more like that's like the fast and furious like fast and furious four fast and furious five hobbs right the hobbs we get in hobbs and shore and all that sort of stuff that's more the rock current comedic thing like and that's the rock play himself that's yeah. the rock play himself so the way he delivers that line though it makes me that's more like okay back to classic hobbs sort of thing um, which if they do, if he's doing that in the movie, then yeah, fuck yeah. How closely do we th- think he'll be tied to Dante, this potential standalone film? Um, I'm going to say, well, I don't know. The thing is, cause we, we don't know that reveal scene, like when that takes place and stuff, you could have, you could say that actually takes place during the events of Fast X and you know, like there's, there's, well, that's what usually happens, right? Yeah. Well, it could we don't know if they if they do that and they have his movie taking place at the same time as fast x and then it ends just in time for where fast x ends because it can't go past fast x because obviously there's such a major cliffhanger with so many characters in that film um but yeah i I think it could definitely happen in tandem Hmm. do you think this is the film that vince was talking about being part of the trilogy of the end that would make sense because Vin, he's 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 a he's a he's got some number count problems. That boy, and like he may not realize that a spinoff is not technically part of a trilogy, but that's fine. I'll let him. I'll let him have it. <laughs> or are we getting Fast X Part Three? I don't know. No, I think after saying this as a bridging film, I'm like, okay, that probably makes more sense. Three films. All right. Uh, last story for this week is an interesting one. Studio Ghibli, the iconic Japanese animation studio, will maintain a cloud of secrecy for as long as possible around how do you live the final film from Maestro Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki. Well, I think about it that way. Um, the new movie is scheduled to arrive in theaters in Japan on July 14th, but Studio Ghibli and its partners will do away with the pre-release advertising and advanced information. To date, it was only released... It to date, it has released only a single enigmatic poster of a bird. Uh, in a long interview with Bunji Shunju magazine, now available on YouTube, Studio Ghibli president and producer Suzuki Toshio uh, explained the unusual strategy as a ploy to whet the appetites of fans. They have, not, they have been denied a new film by Miyazaki since 2013, So Wind Rises. And uh, quote, they'll want to see for themselves what the film is about, and to do that, they'll have to go to the theatre. Dylan, what are your thoughts on not knowing anything before Miyazaki's next film gets released? Really looking forward to seeing all the shitty screenshots that people take on their phones and post on Twitter. It's <laughs> in Japan. No, it's being released in Japan first, so I mean, they're not going to do it. You'd hope not. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I've got nothing against it. Sure, why not? I mean, I, I don't need to know anything. It's like you know, this is definitely going to be his last film. 
So, is it though? Yeah, because my man's like eighty years old, and he took fucking fifteen years to make this. So, math says last film. <laughs> but you know, he's a stubborn old man. He's you know? stubborn, but you know, you can only be so stubborn in the face of death. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm keen. I don't need to know anything. You know, the the marketing is new Hayao Miyazaki film. Do you want to watch it? I say yes. Do I care what it's about? No. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, it'll probably play more in Japan by the time it comes here. Mm. There'll be trailers. There'll be posters. Mm. We'll know what it's about. So, mm. but yeah, I mean, a good strategy. Obviously, you know, Miyazaki. Again, we a film he's been working on forever. Well, I'll say quick asterisk. It's based on a book. Mm, now, whenever true. he bases stuff on a book, he takes it and completely reworks it. However, yes. thematically, they're usually like somewhat the same on a basic level. Somewhat similar. Yes. So if you want to have an idea of what this is, you can get the book. I've got the book here somewhere. I brought it. I haven't started it. Okay. Well, I got time. All right, that's all the news that we got this week. Let's give some thumbs to trailers. Of course, we find all the trailers we're about to talk about this week in the show notes. Uh, first one, Black Mirror Season 6, created by Charlie Booker, starring Aaron Paul, Anja Vassan, Annie Murphy, Auden Thornton, Ben Barnes, Clara Ruggard, uh, Daniel Portman, Danny R- Ramirez, uh, David Shields, Himish Patel, John Hammer, Josh Harnett, Kate Mara, Michael Cera, Monica Dolan, uh, Mahala, Harold, Payapa, Isidu, Isidu, Rob Delaney, Rory Culkin, Salma Hayek Pinault, uh, Samuel Belkin, and Zazie Beats. Uh, in, an obstructive, in an obstructive dystopian future, several individuals grapple with the manipulative effects of cutting edge technology in their personal lives and behaviors. Dylan, are you excited for Black Mirror Season 6? Of course. It's been. Uh... 20, 21, four years since the the last quote unquote season, which had three or four episodes in it. Um, so very keen to to get some more of the stories that we see in the trailer for this. I'll look and stand out as obviously very different, as is the case with Black Mirror always. Um, I love the the, the I guess the headline one that the first episode because usually the last couple of seasons where they've been doing like these feature length episodes that are basically just movies um the, the first episode is usually the the key one from the season and having that one be the the woman who's like basically has a netflix who's created about herself even though she's just an average person and like played by salma hayek that's very weird and interesting uh, but yeah the rest of it looks very good as well and I'm, I'm i'm keen to see what uh they've cooked up in the last four years especially in i guess a post uh covid world a post uh well, I don't know how much AI... Well, the thing is, Black Mirror was talking about AI yeah. in season one, like years and years and years ago. So mm. I don't know how much that affects anything with the current AI situation in the world. But um, yeah, either way, very keen to check out more Black Mirror. No, I you haven't watched, watched any Black, Black Mirror. Mirror. I know a Prime Minister fucks the peak, but other than that... Uh... <laughs> I like how that's turned you off. Like what you heard one episode... And you went, yeah. no, nah, I'm, I'm out. For the rest of the show, even though every single story is completely different, yeah. I heard about There's one episode and I'm bit, done. You know, pink fucking is what I hear. Uh, <laughs> There's one episode with a pink fuck. Um, no, this is obviously a really good trailer. Um, it gives you a good idea of each of the different stories. Um, what do you think of the, the tease of uh, Red Mirror 
and obviously that last film, Demon 79, uh, something more in the supernatural kind of uh, world rather than technology kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got like this, this, the show has slowly got more and more out there, I guess, where the, 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 the first couple seasons when it was just a BBC show were very, um, sort of somewhat grounded, but weird at the same time. Um, and then as they've progressed, we've got sort of more and more out there. Obviously the, the key one that was Emmy nominated a couple of years ago, that was basically an episode mm. of Star Trek. Um, that one and now they're doing stuff where they're you know yeah that last one where it looks like it's dealing with the fucking devil or whatever's going on like i don't know there's gonna be more to it is the thing so as as much as i'm like i don't really get it or like don't know if that fits in black mirror i'm fully open to seeing how it fits into the show's usual thematic idea which is around technology and people all right uh black mirror it's about to return to netflix on the 15th of june really close uh, next trailer, the adults. Double thumbs up, by the way. Oh yeah, two <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the part of it. Uh, next trailer, the adults, uh, directed by Dustin Guy Deffer, uh, starring Michael Sarah, Hannah Gross, uh, Sophia Lillis, and Wavy Jones. Eric wanted to have a short trip back home, but as time passes, it turns into a nostalgic stay as Eric catches up with his two sisters. His desire to prove himself to be the best poker player in town is also holding up his return. His sour relationship with his sister Rachel and their little sister Maggie's attempts to revive the camaraderie they once shared make Eric and Rachel face the reality of a present divide between them. So what do you think of this trailer for the adults? Oh, absolutely double thumbs up. This is the this is like mid two thousands indie hit that I would absolutely have eaten up in high school. So I'm I'm all about this. Looks it looks just very funny very straight for like but also it's michael sarah doing a i don't think he's ever done like a i guess you could say um june no juno yeah juno i guess fits somewhere into this sort of indie comedy like serious topic but funny at the same time category um but like he definitely seems to be playing more of the straight faced in this, where the other people are doing the comedy. Although his accent at the end of this trailer is quite funny, so <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, double double thumbs up for sure. Yeah, this is two thumbs up for me. It looks like a interesting little indie film. Um, Michael Stereo, you know, he's been kind of quiet the last few years, so you know, seeing him in, in something like this is really cool. Uh, Sophia Lillis is really good, and uh, what I've seen of her so far. Um, yeah, just a little cute family drama yeah, with vacuums and poker. The Adults is scheduled released in the US on the 18th of August. No Australian release date. Next trailer, I'm a Virgo, created by Boots Riley, starring Jarrell, Jerome, uh, Mike Epps, Carmen Gojo, uh, Brett Gray, Kari Young, and Walton Goggins. Cootie is a 13-year-old, 19, no. Cootie is a 13-foot-tall, 19-year-old black man raised by his aunt and uncle in Oakland, California. He is shielded from the outside world until being accidentally discovered by a group of teenage political activists. Tell what are your thoughts on I'm a Virgo? Double thumbs up. Uh, this is obviously a... <laughs> if you say, I mean, if you've watched, um, what's that fucking film called? Um... 
what the fuck is that movie got mental blank on the name of it the the boots riley one sorry to bother you two years ago sorry to bother you right so if you watch sorry to bother you absolutely fantastic um really if you watch the trailer it looks too weird to to have something like have an interesting drama in it when you watch the movie its concept never got in the way of like what it was trying to say about the working class um black man i guess um and i feel like this as weird as this is and it basically looks like clifford but teenage black person like it, it, you know like, it's, the, it's the the switch there I, I i i'm fully i have full faith given the history with the with his last film that this as weird and outlandish as this looks is yeah i guess it's gonna have still gonna have interesting character drama and stuff that just makes it not just weird for the sake of being weird although i'm sure it'll be funny at times too yeah, two thumbs up from me. This has been on my radar for a while. It like premiered at South by Southwest, um, and you know, Boots Riley. <laughs> Sorry to bother you. It was a crazy film. This is equally crazy. Um, yeah, it 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 was surprising that it was more than just a one tall guy. It seems like the entire world is kind of full of like meta humans or whatever. So. That's an interesting wrinkle, I guess, to it as well. Walton Goggins playing this, like, Homelander-esque character, I guess. This faux superhero. Um, yeah. Is an interesting addition. But, yeah. Looks really fantastic. The the size, like, however they did the sizing, looks really good. Um, so, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. So, this is coming to Prime Video uh, on the 23rd of June. Next trailer is for Biosphere, directed by Mel Eslin, starring Sterling K. Brown and Mark Duplass. In the not-too-distant future, the two men on the last two men on Earth must adapt and evolve to save humanity. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Biosphere? Uh, looks very weird. Double thumbs up. Two absolutely fantastic actors having to play off one another. Um, it was written by Mark Duplass as well as... Um, fucks uh mel as eslin the director so i basically am all aboard it because they're they've worked together before on a bunch of stuff and i basically i'm just going to give this full faith like <clears throat> i think this is the first thing let me just double check before i'm alive i think this is the first major thing she's directed yeah yes so like done a couple of episodes of room 104 which is a duplass uh production as well but uh so she's been a producer on a bunch of the other stuff and whatever so but as someone who really enjoys either and or Duplass Brothers weird movies, um, I'm all aboard this. I don't really need to know anything else. Fair enough. Uh, I'll give this one up, one down. I think, you know, it's a mood setter, but it's it's not exactly drawing me in to watch the movie. I'm excited because of the people involved, but uh, this trailer is not really wowing, you know? But no. you know, I feel like, I feel like my thing is I just see Mark Duplass and I'm like I'm in. Yeah, I Mark know. Duplass <laughs> like, shows up on screen. Two thumbs up. I'm pretty much in. I mean, if he's a writer, a director, you know, like that is, I'm pretty much all in. If he's just an actor, I'm like I'm like I'm like okay, I'm like you're in the morning show, cool story. But if he's if he's involved in the the creative vision of it, I'm I'm all aboard. Uh, so Biosphere is releasing in Australian cinemas on the 7th of September. Last trailer for this week is the new trailer for 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rowe, starring Micah Abbey, Shaman Brown Jr., Hannibal Burris, Rose Byrne, Nicholas Cantu, John Cena, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, Nessa, Demetrio, uh, Edabiri, Giancarlo Esposito, Post Malone, Brad, Brady Noon, Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, and Maya Rudolph. After years of being sheltered from the surface world in the sewers of New York City, four turtle brothers set out on a quest to be accepted as normal teenagers through acts of heroism. With the aid of their human friend April O'Neil, the brothers' biggest challenge puts them in the crosshairs of a mysterious crime syndicate and an army of mutants. Dylan, what did you think of this new trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Yeah, 100% thumbs up. I don't. Did we talk about the last one? We talked one? about the last one, yes. Yeah, okay. Like, it still looks as good. It, even better trailer than the last, last one. Um, I keep seeing people tweet about it and be like, this looks like Spider Man. I mean, what, here's the easiest way it looks like the Mitchells versus the Machines because that's the directors, right? Mm. There's the. Which I know that when that came out, people were like, this looks like Spider Man. But I'm like, let's just get past that point, point and go to it. looks like Mitchell's vs. Machines. <laughs> um, voice cast, really a, a plethora of fantastic choices amongst there. But the movie just looks very, very fun. And the animation style, obviously stellar. Um, very keen, very, very, very keen for this one. Yeah, two thumbs up from me. The thing I took away from this is, man, some of those characters look ugly. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it's. Yeah, that's the cool thing. Yeah, um, so it's not picture perfect, up. like it's design, <laughs> like uh, even Splinter. Even Splinter. Yeah, I, I need to do a freeze frame, but Splinter looks very <laughs> odd. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I love the the kind of direction they're going with. Like these kids just want to be normal teenagers, but they're of course they can't because they're mutant turtles. Um, yeah, just uh, fantastic. I ducked out of my cinema to quickly go to the bathroom before seeing Spider-Verse. Came back in. They were playing this trailer, and I was very upset. <laughs> Rip. Didn't get to see it on the big screen, but hopefully again soon. Uh, so, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is due in cinemas on 7th of September. All right, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. This week's top three, in honor of Spider-Verse, it's top three franchises that should get an animated film. Dylan, what's number three? Um, this is a... I mean, this one was sort of hard to narrow, to narrow down because there's just so many so many film franchises that you could say would make for an interesting animated film. But, all right, I'm going to go with number three, James Bond. Ooh. So, I remember there was a James Bond comic book a couple of years ago that I quite enjoyed. Um, and then... Had very stylized. Um, had a completely different Bond. It wasn't based on any of the. It was original Bond, not based on any of the movie ones and stuff. So something like that, but animated, um, with a very stylistic choice. Original an original James Bond and everything like that. Um, I think it would be very cool. Awesome. Uh, my number three, Terminator. I feel like animation would be the way to go obviously you've tried several times to continue that series in live action and it hasn't quite worked i think uh animation you can go like a bigger crazier story and not have to worry about the believability of uh real people in the real world uh you can give us a more in-depth look at the actual future like uh uh, where the terminators are and like uh that kind of stuff and i'm sure you could pull off some crazy cool stuff uh, with the Terminators in animation that you wouldn't be able to pull off in uh, live action, like 
their skin getting completely burnt off and it's just the actual T1, T8, that T800 skeleton body underneath and shit like that. Like the crazy morphing shit. Like they did fantastic stuff in two, but you know, um, I'm sure you could take it to another level in animation that kind of stuff. So yeah, Terminator. I think that would be cool. Dylan, what's your number two? Number two, I've gone with Mad Max. So I think I would say, give me a film set between Mad Max 3 and Mad Max Fury Road um, or something along those lines. Very anime-inspired car sequences, I guess, would be my, my pitch. Um, uh, hyper hyper stylized uh, sequences across the locales, and then the the type of characters that you often get in the in the Man Max franchise are obviously very out there, and I think that would fit very well for uh, to be able to do on, in animation. All right. Uh, my number two, Indiana Jones. No, obviously you're coming to the end of Harrison Ford run. You're not going to be able to do another movie with Harrison Ford. So just do an animated one. Like, tell earlier stories, young Indiana Jones stories, in animation. Do something in the vein of, uh, but not exactly like Tintin, uh, which was a fantastic animated movie, but, like, smaller stories about uh, Indy going around collecting archaeological shit, you know? That'd be cool. (laughs) <laughs> what if it's indie collecting archaeological shit yeah you know? <laughs> think of all the booby traps you could have in animation fair Dylan what's your number one number one I've gone with Hellraiser so the Clive Barker um, series uh, characters uh, Pinhead and you know all the necrobites you could do a very fucked up um Hellraiser movie. I would love to see it done in. I'm trying to remember what the, the like a rotoscoping style mm. would be my my go for this one. So sort of somewhere between um, having it look semi realistic still, but being able to do an animation and um, bring some ultra sort of I guess violence to it without having to potentially step on the it's live action. So then it's like a bit too much for some people or whatever. Some people you know like. You know, I'm sure you could agree. Like, if it's animated violence, it's a little bit easier to take for some people who don't like violence um, in in like live action. So, uh, doing something like that would be really cool and an interesting direction to take the Hellraiser franchise. Which, even though they tried to reboot last year and they did a decent one with, I don't know like how much it actually took off. So, right. Hellraiser, my number one, Superman. I think animation is probably the best format. For a Superman story, you can do all the crazy, utilize, show off all these powers in the best possible way, closer to the comics and like what you can in live action. Um, you can get the body type of Superman uh, in a way that you can't with a live action actor. Um, you can like yeah, the switch between Superman and Clark Kent and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I would love to see a big box, big budget. Superman animated film. That'd be very cool. James Gunn, let me know. Alright, let us know what franchises should get an animated film. Um, also, I was going to check out John Wick. I think that would be cool to see like a like a prequel animated film. Yeah. Uh, let us know by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. Uh, 
help us out here at what you want to watch by leaving us a review on apple Podcasts or on podchaser leave us five stars anywhere leave five stars or just tell people about the show and if you enjoyed this episode thor's worth a dollar head on over to our coffee page at explosion.com slash support thank you very much for listening until next time keep watching stuff i guess